Hello and welcome to Nokia's Women in Technology series. I'm Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us today. While women constitute nearly 50% of the workforce in the United States, only 28% of the STEM-related fields are filled by women right now. So joining me today to talk a little bit more about her career path and how we can empower more women in STEM-related fields is Amy Wheelis, Vice President of Architecture and Strategic Planning at AT&T. Amy, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be here, Tyler. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and I'm excited to hear more of your insights and expertise on these topics. And of course, joining us today to be our guide and lead the conversation is Marianne Strobel, Head of North America Customer Marketing and Communications for Nokia. Marianne, great to talk to you. Thanks, Tyler, and, and thanks for having me. And a warm welcome to Amy. Amy, I'm so thrilled that you're here to join us today. I'm really happy to be here, happy to have a dialogue and a conversation with a friend and a fellow woman in technology. I love it. And, and you know, technology is, is top of mind for all individuals these days. But one of the things that I, I see, and you see this as well, is women in technology and maybe not enough of it. And so, I, you know, I, I just want to kind of pick your brain on some things and, and explore your journey and, you know, what made you go into technology? And, and I'm, I'm sure when you woke up when, you know, when you were a little girl, you know, did you wake up in the morning to say, geez, I think I want to be the vice president of architecture and strategic planning at AT&T? What, 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 what was your journey going through as you were growing up? So I grew up in a very, very small town in the panhandle of Florida. Um, there were more people in my dorm at Georgia Tech than in my hometown. So I had very little exposure to engineers. I didn't know, you know, what an engineer did or anything like that. What I did know was that I was good at math and science and I enjoyed it and everybody told me I should be a doctor. Well, I also knew that I really didn't like the sight of blood and being a doctor was not something I was interested in. My earliest recollection of being, you know, doing something engineering like was when I was eight years old, I took apart my alarm clock. Um, and I remember my mom coming into my room and being really mad at me because I had this alarm clock laid out with all the parts. Um, I did get it back together, uh, but it worked in backwards then. It, it ticked, but the <laughs> hands went backwards. But at eight years old, I thought it was pretty good. But, you know, needless to say, I, I really didn't know what engineers did. Um, until I went off to college and started exploring and talking to other people in other majors um, and, and trying to figure out what my path would be. I just always knew that I loved science. I loved to know how things work and why things work. And that was important to me to be able to um, think about that and think about how to, how to make things so, so you you major, majored in industrial engineering, correct? Yes. So, what made you go that route in industrial engineering versus other engineering paths? Well, to be perfectly honest, it wasn't my first stop. My first major was aerospace engineering, and there's a funny story about that. Um, I went to a junior college right out of high school um, because uh, being from such a small town, I needed to go somewhere and build some of the, the skills up before I could go to a major university. And so I went to a, a school called Chipola Junior College in the Panhandle of Florida. And then 
I was transferring to Georgia Tech. I still didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be an engineer. And in order to transfer, they required transfer students to declare a major. And I called and discussed that with them, argued with them somewhat. Uh, people that know me would find that hard to believe, but um, I, uh, so finally, I just picked the first one on the list, and so I chose aerospace engineering. Now, it wasn't just because it was the first one on the list. Um, I loved space. I'm a Trekkie. I like Star Wars too, but I'm a Trekkie. Um, and so it seemed like something really cool to do. Uh, it took me about four weeks to figure out that I did not want to be an aerospace engineer for the rest of my life. It had nothing to do with the difficulty of it. Now, it was plenty hard, but, but that, was, that could be accomplished. It was more about the type of work. And so once I was on campus at Georgia Tech, then I could actually start talking to people and professors who were in the different programs. And when I started talking to people that were in the industrial engineering school, I, I figured out that very quickly that that is what I am. I am an industrial engineer. I happen to get a, a degree in it as well. But the things that industrial engineering teaches you and the breadth of engineering um, with the ability to go deep in any area, um, that just, it, it, it fits me to a T. Um, today, what I'm doing in my career at AT&T at, at this point is architecture and strategic planning. So if you think about it in terms of industrial engineering, I'm doing system engineering. I'm doing the architecture and the system engineering for our consumer technology platforms. Um, the other piece of industrial engineering that was very interesting to me was the part that is the marriage of the engineering and the business. And we had to take things like operations research and learning how to optimize, learning we had accounting and finance classes, we had engineering economics, all of those things that help build the business skills, coupling that with the technology. So it, it's it's interesting to hear, and I'm going to kind of go back to something you said very um, early in the discussion. And I and I think as listeners are listening, as many of them are the college age kids you took the path of going to a local junior college first before going into a major university. And, and I admire that I'm a product of that myself because when I was 17 years old, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I kind of needed to get ready to go to the big kids school, so to speak. But I, I really appreciate that. And I, would you advise, you know, if somebody's not ready to go into that four year big university leap to first start at a local junior college? I absolutely would. I think that our community college systems or junior college systems are great facilitators and enablers for people to help. You know, if whether you're needing to fill a gap in your skill set, you're needing to mature a little bit, or you just really don't know what you need, what you want to go do. It gives you some more time to try to figure that out. It gives you time in a smaller environment uh, to, to help you be more successful. Um, I know that you know, Georgia Tech has changed greatly since I was there. When I was there, they did the look to your left, look to your right. 
two of you won't be here at the end of the year. And it really was a weed out type of school and they challenged you and it was hard those first couple of years. And they used those first couple of years to weed, weed out students. They don't do that anymore. Um, I'm happy to, to read every time I read about their high um, retention rate for freshmen. So it's a little bit better now, but still, if those first couple of years are really hard and if you can get those basic skills at a community college, it will help you be able to be more successful when you go to the, the four-year schools. So as you, were, as you were then navigating through your journey through school and you looked around the classroom environment, did you see a lot of ladies like yourself or was it more men? There were more men in, the, in everywhere I experienced. Um, you know, all of my engineering classes at the junior college level, all of the science classes, it was predominantly men. Um, once I got to Georgia Tech, the ratio was eight to one, men to women. Um, again, you know, that's improved greatly in the, the years since yeah. then, but still it was very, very much a man's world. So Amy, as you were in college and you know, you are now into the four-year university, if you looked around in your classroom environment, did you see a lot of women sitting around you in your classrooms? I did not. It was largely, um, probably most of my classes were two-thirds um, men um, and a third women. The ratio at Georgia Tech was eight to one. Um, and you know that's greatly changed over time and I'm very happy at the progress we're making in putting more women and graduating more women in in STEM fields but it was very much a man's world when I was there. So what was what was some of the challenges that you faced and and what you had to do as a woman in an engineering program at Georgia Tech that may have been a little different from others? You know I, I think one of the things for me was it wasn't a lot different than how I had grown up. I, I played sports uh, all growing up. In fact, I, I just saw a picture of my little league team where I was the only girl on it. Um, and, you know, I, so I had gravitated to sports and science and engineering. And many of my you know, friends that were girls did not you know, do those things. And so then when I went to Georgia Tech, it was somewhat natural to be surrounded by, by men in those, student, in, in those classes. But I, I think the thing that was interesting for me in those classes was to really you know, bring different perspectives and think about things differently and bring the female perspective to the discussion. And you know, we had some very interesting and challenging discussions as we thought about, you know, product design and things of that nature and, and how is it different, you know, for a men and versus women. I know one of a, a cool project we did was on stadium design and we had to redesign the, um, at the time, Fulton County Stadium, which was the home of the Atlanta Braves at the time. And, you know, we had this big debate over the number of bathrooms that you need in a baseball stadium. Um, and so, you know, I think it, it started crystallizing for me how the different perspectives need to be, you know, at the table and how diversity makes a difference in everything that we do, even stadium design. Absolutely. And, you know, since graduation, 
Um, you've been with AT&T since you graduated college, correct? I have. Okay, so what made you go into the AT&T direction and how did, how did starting off your career at AT&T help you navigate to where you are today? You know, one of the things, when I um, was graduating, getting ready to graduate, um, a friend came into the computer lab and threw down a bunch of business cards on the table and said, hey, AT&T's hiring, I just interviewed, y y'all should, you know, send them a letter. And so I went over and picked up a card and quickly sent them a letter and a few weeks later had an interview and, and a job offer. And so, you know, taking that initiative to go do that helped me get in the door at AT&T. Um, I wish I could tell you that I knew the day that I accepted the offer exactly what I was getting into or what even my job would be. I hired into a, a role that was called Central Office Layout and Design Planning. Um, little did I know that that was one of the best possible jobs to come into the AT&T network organization in. Um, that just happened by luck. And the reason I say it's one of the best jobs is it allowed me to learn the network. My job was to design the floor space and lay out the equipment in our central offices. So the buildings that house our network equipment. And so I had to learn every component of the network, what it had to attach to, what it needed to be cabled to, what it couldn't be near, what it had to be near, and really get a good basis for understanding our network. And that's been the basis for the rest of my career. I've been in and out of the network uh, my entire career. Um, and done a variety of different things within AT&T. So, Amy, you know, with, with your role where you are today, what advice would you give to somebody who is, um, you know, either going through the STEM program at a college or just graduated, and especially looking at a career path? What would you, what would you, what would your advice and counsel be? I, I think the number one thing that women especially need to remember is you can do what you put your mind to. Don't look at a job and think, well, I don't know if I can do that. Or don't look at a list of requirements for a job and because there's one on there that maybe you don't have the right skill set for, you know, dismiss that as, a, as not a possibility. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've heard it, we hear it, there's research that proves it that women have a tendency to only go after jobs where they feel like they are, they check every box on the page. And men don't have that same tendency. I think that's one of the areas where I would advocate that we need to be more like men. I don't advocate that, you know, in a lot of space. I think we need to be women, we need to be women in, in, and showcase our uniqueness and our diversity and that will make all of us better. But in this particular area, you gotta be confident, you gotta go after those jobs that may be stretch jobs, because what's the worst that will happen? They'll say no. But what's right. the best that right. will happen? And think about the possibilities of that. Well, and, and I also think it's, it's you know, you sometimes it's navigating and taking those steps and, and taking that first step I think in, in today's time, a lot of graduates have this uh, this illusion of grandeur, so to speak, that they're going to enter into this role and it, 
it's going to be at this level and they're going to do all this stuff. And I've seen, let's start them off like you had done in when you got into AT, building the basics, getting the basics down pat, and then you build that foundation. Because if you don't have that steady foundation, you won't be successful. And I think especially women in technology, um, there is this competitiveness where they've always got to keep up with men. And again, I think a lot of workplaces today are really kind of changing that environment to where it's a level playing field. Now, I did, again, there's there's still some opportunity there. But, you know, as I look at talking with women, especially those that are entering into the field in, in technology, um, they got to get that foundation and, and to be patient, but then to ask questions. So I know you mentor a lot of women at AT&T and even outside. Um, you know, what are you seeing as some of the, the differences of these women that you are mentoring from when you started? I think uh, women are more willing to go ask for mentoring. I think women are more willing today to be a part of women's groups that foster that um, mentorship and foster that community. Uh, I know one of the mistakes I would say that I made early in my career is that I was determined I can do it on my own. I don't, I don't, I don't need to be a part of that women's group. I can stand on my own, and I could, and I did. But what I missed in that was I missed the ability to not only be supported by my women peers, but also to support them. And that's part of the reason why I've been much more active as my career has progressed, because I've been you know, introspective and looked back and looked at the opportunities that I missed to help somebody along the way. I think. You know, one of the best examples of that um, that somebody has described or illustration of that would be, you know, each one reach one. And as you're being pulled up, you pull somebody up with you. And I think that that is a key um, thing that we as women leaders need to be doing and need to help. But it doesn't stop with just the leaders. You know, I'm mentoring people who then need to be mentoring others you know, it has to be that chain effect so that we can build a stronger base and, and make sure that there is a pipeline of women leaders ready to step into the roles when they open up. I, I think you, you just hit on something that I'm very passionate about, and I know you are too, is, you know, you have women that are entering into the workforce in, in STEM, right, or in technology. But what advice and counsel do you give to those that are in the workforce or are working for your company and and how they should navigate their career. So, you know, now it's talking about those that are in the role. How do you get them to that next level? I, I think there, there are a couple of key things. One is you have to be always looking at and looking for what is that next role. Number one job is always do the role you're in to the best of your ability and just you know, nail it. But then where, it, where do you want to go next? And making sure that you're building that network of, of people to, that will identify those jobs for you. Um, I will tell you that very rarely, if ever in my career, have I gone into our, you know, AT&T is a huge corporation and so we have an internal job board that people go post jobs on and you go look for jobs. Very rarely in my career have I ever gone out and like 
looked for jobs on the job board. And I don't think there's been a time ever where I actually got a job that I went out and asked for and looked for and applied for on the job board. The best jobs and the jobs that have helped move my career along have been those when somebody's come and said, hey, there's this opening here, I think you're good for it. Or they've told the hiring manager, hey, you should go talk to Amy about it. Building that network of, of people that know you, that know your, know your work quality, that know your personal qualities and your capabilities, that will be able to identify you as somebody that might be available or might be a good fit for a job when one of their peers or friends ask, that's how you get the best jobs, that's how you build your career. Um, it's the, there's the old adage, it's not what you know, but who you know. Uh, you know yeah. Yes, it's both, but it has a lot to do with that networking and making sure that you've got people who are willing to recommend you. And I also, I would add to that is an ask for help. Absolutely. Ask for advice, ask for help. And, and I think sometimes as women, we, you, you mentioned it earlier, we don't ask for help. And that's where we, we have a downfall. So I, I'm all so right on with you about building your network, building your visibility and, and putting yourself out there. And it, it sometimes it's a little uncomfortable but it makes you for who you are. And I, you know, I, I highly, uh, highly recommend that as well. So my, my, my last question to you is this, that, you know, we, we are in a, an area that is just booming in technology. Dallas Fort Worth area has just really, really just morphed into this technology beacon, right? What would you recommend to Let's let's go down a couple of levels into uh, a young lady that is in the, the the school grades, you know, the elementary school. What would you recommend to that level of an individual in school on going into science, technology, engineering, or mathematics? What would you do to say them to inspire them to go into that direction? You know, I I think you you have to have a passion for what you want to do. Uh, and in order to be happy in your career, you have to have a passion for it. And we should all be striving to, to do those things that we have a passion for. And you know, I think many times in our, our secondary school and, and middle school age kids, um, girls, it's not cool to like science and math, but yet there are a lot of girls that do. And I think you know, we need to as parents, we need to, as adults, teachers, and and as that you know group of girls, they need to declare and decide. It's cool to do science. It's cool to do technology. Um, you know, Girls Who Code is a great example of that. You know, it started w as a vision and has grown. And you know, there are now you know hundreds of graduates coming out of college that started in Girls Who Code because it was a cool thing to do. And I think we need to, to build more of those programs and, and girls need to be not afraid to go do that and be a part of that. Join the robotics club, join the science club, you know, join, do those things that you're interested in and, and don't be afraid because it's not the cool thing to do or that you know, your friends might not like you because I would challenge you, you'll find more friends that 
are similar to you and those things that you like? So Amy, you know, we, we're all about women empowerment and you and I both work for corporations where we have women in technology. How do we keep these women with us and grow them through the ranks of the companies that are, you know, looking at technology of the future? How do we, how do we keep them and how do we grow them? You know, Marianne, that's a, that's a great question because one, if I look back at my friends from college and look at the, the number of them that I had, and I had a good group of women friends, um, probably 2025. 20, Today, as I look towards, I'm towards the end of my career, and only three of us have stayed in the workplace our entire career. So one of the biggest challenges for us as, as corporations and as women leaders in technology is how do we keep those women in the workforce? How do we develop programs that allow for them to be in the workforce? You know, how do, they, how do we make sure that, you know, as they're raising their children, they have the flexibility to take care of their children and, and also be a part of our workforce? I, I think that's one of our biggest challenges that we've really got to work on um, as, an, as an entity as a whole um, for women in technology. Now I'm going to make a plug because I know AT&T has this program and it's called AT Women of AT&T or AT&T of Women if I'm correct if I'm we, saying We it have correctly. a couple of them. We have Women of AT&T and Advocates for Women in Technology which are are two complementary programs that we have. So so tell me a little bit about those programs and if somebody was interested in in working for AT&T how would they go about you know getting into AT&T number 1 and number 2 getting into these women programs So these employee groups that we have they are a great resource and it's free membership you just sign up and join and it provides you have access to mentoring you have access to other women that are going through you know and doing some of the same things you're doing. Um, the, the Advocates for Women in Technology one actually started out of our network and our labs organization, which is very, very highly um, concentrated with men. And one of the things that, that we, ha I actually um, have the privilege to serve on the advisory board for the um, Advocates in Women in Technology. And one of the things that we realized was we need advocates for women in technology. And we need men to be advocates for women in technology, not just women being advocates for it. And so that's why we actually changed the name. It used to be AT&T Women in Technology, and we changed it to Advocates for Women in Technology um, because that's what's important, advocating to keep the women in the workforce, to keep women, to keep that pipeline of women um, very full. Well, Amy, you're a good leader and an awesome leader, and you've got some amazing women over there who I know many of them, and they, they lead loud. And I think that's what we need to continue to do is lead loud. So thanks for that. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.